0: Royal Caribbean's Wow Sale is back. Right now, get 30% off every guest and up to $300 to spend at sea on Royal Caribbean's Anthem or Adventure of the Seas, both sailing from the New York area, starting from $99 per day. Discover how much adventure you can fit in one vacation with the Wow Sale. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. This offer ends today, so visit royalcaribbean.com or call your travel agent today. Offer ends February 11. Prices are per person, double occupancy, interior room, reflect savings, subject to availability. Taxes, fees, and port expenses, additional restrictions apply. Ships registry, Bahamas. Town Fair Tire is Connecticut's largest discount tire dealer. We honor every manufacturer's rebate and all our competitors' rebates,
1: too. For the guaranteed lowest price, nobody beats Town Fair Tire. Nobody! Town Fair Tire! Get the big company benefits of your dreams at rates your business can afford. JustWorks.com forward slash radio.
0: And 2020 Sports Time 802. Multiple reports say 31-year-old right-handed pitcher Hugh Darvish is headed to the Cubs on a six-year, $126 million contract. Yankees were a possible destination. The Bombers and the Mets, they begin spring training this week. Giants were reportedly denied permission to interview Vikings quarterback coach Kevin Stefanski for their offensive coordinator opening. Philadelphia running backs coach Deuce Staley, rumored to be in interest of Pat Shermer. The United States is on the board at the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, 17-year-old Red Gerard of Colorado capturing gold in slope-style snowboarding. Meantime, over in college basketball...
2: Well, how about this for a response? St. John's loses his first 11 conference games. They knock off Duke. They knock off top-ranked Villanova, and now
1: Shamari Pons with a 44-point afternoon as the Red Storm
3: turn back Marquette, 86 to 78.
0: John Minko calling the Johnnies' third win in a row on the St. John's IMG Sports Network. Ponds with a Carnesecca Arena record for points in a contest. Seton Hall just short of Georgetown, 83 to 80. Rutgers a 67-55 lost to Nebraska. UConn was beaten by number 22, which Utah State 95-74, to Hofstra no match for UNC Wilmington 90-70, Manhattan over Monmouth 93-76, Iona beat St. Peter's 86-77, and Fordham routed Duquesne 80-57. The 2018 snowballs is almost here. Don't miss your chance to play on the field at a MetLife Stadium March 9th through 11th as the New York Giants host a six-on-six flag football tournament benefiting Special Olympics New Jersey. For more information and to register your team today, visit njsnowball.org. That's NJ N-J-Snow- bowl.org 46 light rain in central park and that's what's happening i'm dave Uram with 2020 sports on wfan sports radio 1019 fm and sports radio 66 you can now listen to the fan anytime anywhere by downloading the all new radio.com app this is the sports edge with rick wolf on your flagship station
4: for new york sports The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and
2: 1019-FM, WFAN New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf Sports Edge. I am your host, Rick Wolf. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about the sport of lacrosse. Now, everyone in amateur and youth sports knows that over the last couple of decades, lacrosse has just exploded in popularity. Not just in the traditional areas here on the East Coast, but pretty much all over the country, including the Midwest and the Far West. You know, the truth is, everywhere you go now, you see kids carrying lacrosse sticks. It's become very much commonplace. And not just boys lacrosse, but girls lacrosse as well. In fact, you know, my my own two daughters both played uh, lacrosse in high school, uh, and uh, Samantha was actually good enough, my younger one, uh, to go on and play lacrosse in college. It's in many ways as though so lacrosse suddenly became viewed as a as a new novelty, a new sport for kids in which to to chase athletic scholarships, as college programs begin to began to pop up and grow everywhere, and there was a rush from college coaches, of course, to find the best players at very young ages and to offer scholarships to kids early in their high school careers. The result. Well, a lot of confusion and a lot of questions, but look, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. On today's show, we're going to talk with the head coach of Princeton University's men's lacrosse program, Matt Madelon, who will answer my questions and will presumably answer your questions as well at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. 337 6666 That's brought to you, of course, by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Play your, plan your stay at Uh But first, A little personal background. The last time I saw Matt Madelon, he was playing youth hockey with my son uh, up in Darien, Connecticut, back when John and and Matt were both in middle school. But since those ice hockey days, Matt went on to become an All-American goalie at Roanoke College, played in Major League Lacrosse, and now he's in his third year as a head coach at Princeton. Matt, good morning. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for getting up uh, on this very gloomy Sunday morning, Matt, to talk about lacrosse. Uh, and, you know, I have a lot of, lot of questions, a lot of territory to cover with you. But the first question I have to ask you is I haven't seen you in a long time since you were playing hockey. I remember you as a pretty prolific goal scorer uh, as, a, as a wing. Um, how did you become a goalie? How did you go from scoring goals in ice hockey to becoming a goalie in lacrosse?
4: You know, it's funny. There's a, there's a ton of crossover in that sport. Um, but when it came down to, you know, picking up the game of lacrosse, you know, we grew up playing baseball. Uh, you know my father and everything, and all my brothers. And when it came up to picking lacrosse, uh, it was a position where you know the current team had a void, and you know it's a lot of eye-hand coordination. So I was just lucky to have the opportunity, and then kind of uh, kind of exploded in the position. So um, definitely a little different from hockey, but uh, there is a lot of crossover. So
2: well, I was going to say most people who know obviously uh, who have grown up with ice hockey or lacrosse, they're obviously comparable in terms of of the uh, the approach both. Uh, you know, offensively and defensively. But being a goalie in lacrosse, man, that, that's a tough job, right?
4: It is. its is. Uh, I'd have to say it's one of the more challenging positions in all of sports. I think that, you know, outside of the quarterback in the NFL and a handful of others. But, sure, I mean, you're not wearing a lot of pads. That ball's moving. You know, and as they've changed the stick dynamics, uh, these guys can shoot it upwards of 100 miles an hour. So it was, uh, you know, I got a lot of good teaching along the way, and I was fortunate for my coaches that helped me through it.
2: All right, let me ask you, a dumb question uh, because I did not play lacrosse growing up. As I said, my two daughters played, uh, but so I had to sort of learn the sport uh, as I watched them progress. But if you're a goalie in lacrosse, as you just mentioned, I mean the ball is zinging around 100 miles an hour, and it's a solid rubber ball. Doesn't that thing hurt if you don't have much pads on your on your legs or your knees? If you do get winged by one of those balls, doesn't that hurt like hell? No, it
4: absolutely does. They uh, they've always categorized those lacrosse goalies and hockey goalies as being a little nutty. I'd like to hope I uh, you know I'd like to hope I change the profile there. Uh, you know I think I tried to bring a little more skill to the position, but no, it absolutely does. That ball does hurt. You know these young guys that are growing up in the position, they're tough little guys and they take a beating throughout their careers.
2: I mean I I mean I've, I've watched a lot of lacrosse. As I said and I don't see. Uh, You know, I know know the ball, if it hits the goalie, uh, you know, it it has to sting a little bit. But none of these guys seem to, uh, I guess, it's all part of the whole uh, persona. You don't show any pain. Don't don't try to express yourself when you're gritting your teeth.
4: Uh, Oh, you bet. I think you have to approach it that way. (laughs)
2: All right, now, uh, before I get to the calls, I want to ask you this, Matt. You know, as I mentioned in the opening, there's been a lot of, because all of a sudden, the cross seemed to explode in popularity so many uh, people, so many kids now are into lacrosse, and as we've seen the huge expanse of uh, college programs around the country, uh, it's you know it's almost like we're seeing now a response from the college coaching recruiting that, that that they're looking at trying to recruit or have been trying to recruit kids as, as young as eighth grade, ninth grade. I mean, tell me about that. Hasn't that, and that's been curtailed, correct? I just want to go through to make sure people understand what's going on.
4: It absolutely has, and I'm happy to share. And I appreciate you asking me about it. You know, lacrosse—it's still in its elementary growth in terms of the rules, and we're trying to get everything organized from all different levels. But the recruiting piece has been has been the, it has been the priority. Um, in years past, you've been able to contact prospective student athletes. As young as eighth and ninth grade and that may not be coaches contacting but you may be able to receive calls from them in recent legislation they've passed that it bans all college lacrosse coaches from contacting prospective student-athletes until september one of their junior year and what that's done honestly it's a breath of fresh air for everyone Mm -hmm. it allows the coaches to see these guys matriculate as not only students but athletes as well and then it allows the the student athlete to kind of grow. And it's not, it's not necessarily the best eighth or ninth grader that's going to end up with a scholarship now. It's the young man or young woman that continues to progress and continues to, you know, develop athletically and buckle down in the classroom that's going to earn themselves opportunity. So it takes a little pressure off both sides. It moves it. It condenses it a little later in their athletic career, um, but I think we're going to go, hopefully, push more towards the football model as guys, to, as, as men and women, deciding, you know, almost upwards of their late junior senior year.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, it always seemed to me to be, you know, w- w- what's the rush? What's the urgency? Obviously, we know that that the coaches who are eager to get their programs on the map are going to go out and try to populate and try to recruit uh, with uh, spot talent at a very young age. But as we all know. Things, so many things happen between the time a kid is in an eighth and ninth grade uh, to the time they're a junior or senior. It just makes all the sense in the world. So I am glad to hear that it's been, it's been, it's been capped by the NCAA and now she says there can't be any outreach until September 1st of, of the student's junior year. That makes all the sense in the world and pretty much puts all the coaching and the college programs on, on an equal uh, playing field as well. Absolutely yeah well, I think that's great. Uh, you know, and I 'm glad you mentioned also that it 's not just the men it's the women as well, because obviously uh, women 's lacrosse has also just exploded in popularity as well, so that 's good. Um, th- let me ask you this also uh, you know when, when it comes to recruiting how, how do you and again you're and we 're talking about this morning with Matt Madelon, who is the head uh, men 's lacrosse coach at Princeton, because of this has been a, a sea change with with the sport and, and recruiting. What is the philosophy? What do you guys do at Princeton in terms of, you know, going out and scouring the countryside to find prospects? Is, is there any particular I mean how, when you sit down with your your coaching staff, how do you go about doing this in terms of scanning everybody out who wants to uh play lacrosse?
4: Sure, it's an incredible task. <clears throat> you know, as a staff it 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 takes up it takes up a huge chunk of our time. You know, we try to you know, we try to canvass the country, and you 're not able to go out and watch every single student athlete and every single young lacrosse player. So you rely a lot on relationships right. uh, between club coaches and high school coaches. and then throughout the summer, we have two major recruiting periods. One is in late November. Uh, which I would say is a point of contention as well because it's pulling young athletes away from other sports as they need to focus on a small recruiting window. Mm -hmm. And then the larger recruiting window is actually in the summer months of June and July, and that's where we as college coaches – we travel the country going to different showcases, different tournaments, and just evaluating these young guys athletically. Uh, so, you know, at that point, again, we try to, you know, we try to approach it where, you know, we'll look at the hotbeds, we'll look at the major clubs as they develop and come through, you know, come through the ranks. Uh, but you can find great lacrosse players anywhere in the country. And, you know, right now, a lot of it in our day and age with the internet and YouTube and all these videos, you know, these young student athletes are able to put together these online profiles, which also gives us a great snapshot into the recruiting piece. So,
2: so you do in fact look at these uh, the kids, or they work through their some sort of like uh, you know online services. You, they do send you highlight reels. That's that's important for you and your staff.
4: It absolutely is. You know, it's there are two ways to go about the online piece. You know, you can put you can set up your profile within one of these services, and they do a great job of reaching out and targeting the schools that these student athletes are you know are, are on trajectory to meet. And then you can write personal emails to the coaching staffs you know all of our emails are listed or most of them are online on our staff directory and then you know if you're able to put you know a little personal touch about say Prince University and why you're interested in it and you know whether it's this major or that major or this piece of the program you know it does strike a chord with the coaches because it does take a little extra effort to do that so but really you know there's there's no rock unturned we try to we try to look at every opportunity and you know everyone's trying to find that diamond in the rough.
2: We're talking with Matt Madelon, the head uh, lacrosse coach at Princeton. And, um, yes, we are going to take calls at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six 337 6666 here on the fan. In fact, let's, uh, let's start this morning with Roger, who's calling from uh, Wisconsin. Roger, good morning. You're on the fan.
5: Good morning. Good morning, Coach. Yeah. Um, so I'm out here in Wisconsin. I got out here from Jersey about four years ago. Mm-hmm. I, had, I started at youth. I had 17 kids. Now we got a hundred in the program, so it just shows you what it's growing like. I'm I'm worried about um, the same thing Rick talks about in soccer, where there, the the strategy to run spring travel at the youth level, um, travel type you know teams as opposed to neighborhood-based teams that are affordable, um, and it seems like U.S. Lacrosse is Kind of endorsing that a little bit. Maybe you could
4: speak about it. Sure. Well, first off, you know, thank you for for the good work and spreading the game. I think that it's something that, as our game grows, we continue to need folks like you that head out there in, in, in the non-traditional areas and and get student and get young guys playing. Um, it's really different. You know, there's been a, push, a huge push in the club circuit. And, you know, it's a little bit of the Wild West out there in our game right now because there are a lot of opportunities to make money and pull dollars from this game. And there's, and there's not a true structure or path as they continue to change the rules. I think that, you know, the club coaches and these club programs that begin, um, you know, they're hoped to provide the opportunity that they can get guys from Wyoming or Wisconsin or, you know, the, you know in terms of California and get them East. Um, so that 's one route of it, you know the other piece of it, and and, to, to, and you know i can 't speak directly to how u s lacrosse is endorsing it. I think that everyone 's trying to get their heads around what truly is the best approach um, because you know, as much as, you know, I often, I won't be able to get to Wisconsin maybe to watch, to watch these young guys play high school lacrosse, but maybe I can watch it on tape now, you know, or maybe if you're able to come east, you're able to travel to a tournament and bring these guys, you know, for the, for the right cost, you know, they, it may be able to provide them a different opportunity. So, again, I appreciate you, you getting it done out there. Um,
5: hey, hey. Hey, Coach, if I get one with the grades, he's going to Brown first. Then I'll oh,
2: that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roger, you were doing just great to that last comment, but, but th- thank you for the call this morning. Take care. Oh, my goodness. Well, there you go. Uh, yes, we're talking about competitive uh, Ivy League lacrosse, and we're talking with Coach Madelon from Princeton. All right. Matt, stay with us, of course. Uh, when we return uh, from some commercial messages and Dave Uram's sports update, we'll continue our conversation with Coach Madelon. one 337 6666 And back here on the Sports Edge, we're talking this morning with Matt Madelon. He's the head coach of Princeton Men's Lacrosse. And uh, before I get back to the calls, I, you know, preparing my notes for the show this morning, I was thinking about the Madelon family. And uh, I mentioned, of course, that Matt had played hockey with my son uh, some years ago in 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 the youth leagues up in Darien, Connecticut. But I also coached Matt's uncle, Scott, Scott Madelon, who when Scott pitched for me at at Mercy College uh, back in the day. And and, uh, Scott was an absolute flamethrower, one of the greatest and toughest uh, competitors I ever had when I coached at Mercy. Uh, and uh, Matt's other uncle, Howie, was also a top flight ball player as well. I also had the opportunity to get to know Matt's dad, Joe, Joe Madeline, when Matt and my son were playing up in Derry End. And uh, yeah, it's been a terrific ride for me to get the chance to know so many members of the Madeline family. Um, uh, Matt, I want to get back to some recruiting questions, but I also want to get some calls here as well at one eight seven seven 337 6666. Let's go up to Yorktown. Joe, good morning. You're on the fan.
1: Hey, Rick. Good morning. How are you doing?
2: Good. How are you, Joe?
1: Good, good. Coach, it's an honor to talk to you. Um, Rick, I wanted to just uh, kind of clarify what that last caller said about uh, U.S. lacrosse endorsing this model. Um, I actually think nothing could be further from the truth. Um, I wear many hats involved with uh, youth lacrosse, high school lacrosse, and now I'm getting involved with U.S. lacrosse as a national trainer. And one of the things that they are actually advocating is this thing called the athletic development model, which is age-appropriate instruction to kids coming up through the game, um, which has nothing to do with endorsing the club market or anything like that. And our sport has grown at such a level that I actually say, and I've actually said this on your show before, to the point of its own detriment, where there's a vacuum and that's being filled by commercial programs that mm-hmm. are making good money, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, misleading people. And it comes down to what it really—the the solution to that, which is stuff that you've talked about many times before—is really comes down to education. It's people yes. getting an education as to what really, you know, you know, um, navigating their way through this mess that's out there that you alluded to earlier in the, in the show. It's really just getting an education, and the information's out there; they just got to go find it.
2: Yeah, uh, Joan, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in before I let Matt speak about this as well, but obviously, again, it, the sport has grown so dramatically, as you know. Uh, it's been, I think, a little bit challenging for U.S. lacrosse to try to fill in all the holes and gaps when it comes to getting good, solid programs out there. As Matt mentioned earlier, you know, people are going to step into the breach and and put together travel programs or or camps, whatever, where they feel that, yeah, they they feel like they're doing something right for kids who want to aspire on lacrosse. Obviously, there's there's a profit motive as well. But yeah, it, it's it's still in the process of being sorted out and developing. And and Matt, uh, what, what's your sense? I mean, is U.S. Lacrosse doing enough here to to sort of make sure that all all the uh, the points are covered? You know,
4: Joe, thanks for calling in. And, and I and I do think they are. And I think Joe makes a great point. I think that. When it shakes out, and this almost parallels the recruiting rules, is as these club teams have emerged, it's a major focus on tournaments and games yep, and yep. Putting, a pro- putting a game product on the field where, if you, as US Lacrosse has taken the approach of the educational development piece, that's what we were hoping to do almost peripherally with the recruiting rules. If we bump these back, then there's less focus on these teams – Putting together you know these young guys showing up to practice, just preparing to play a game instead of developing their skills and and growing truly through the sport as as young guys as young boys all the way through you know adolescent high school age and then and then into the recruiting realm so I think that 's a great point i think u s lacrosse and and Joe again, thank you for the good work I think that that 's awesome I think that as guys. You know, as more people get out there and you're in a hotbed of lacrosse and for it to for it to almost reset in a place like Yorktown, I mean, Yorktown is, is, those are storied programs around that area, high school programs. So for it to reset and go to the educational piece, that's a breath of fresh air and I appreciate it. Yeah.
1: Well, a- absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, uh, more like a dirty little secret lacrosse is as much as the sport's growing, it also suffers from one of the highest uh, attrition rates where, According to US Across, nationally, 75% of the kids that join in third and fourth grade drop out by the time they're in seventh and eighth grade. So the growth, you know, it's it's not linear. So there is some, some some um, you know, it set, resets itself as they get later. And US Across trying to keep more kids active and involved with the program by having a model in place. Like I said, it's age appropriate instruction so that ultimately at the end, we're also putting a better product on the field at the high school level and at the college level.
2: Just, just a quick question, guys. W- w- Joe, w- why do you, Matt, why do you think that? There's such a precipitous drop off. Is it because of the, the sport gets expensive, or because kids just have other interest?
4: That's I a- think you're spot on. I think a little bit is, you know, a little bit is the monetary value of it. I think that you know when a helmet costs a couple hundred dollars, and then you've got to piecemeal you know the equipment together. And there are some guys out there, um, you know, sp- specifically a former Princeton alum uh, who started the Warrior Company, and they're going to do a good job. They're making a new push with New Balance to kind of spread the game at, a, at an elementary level for a, for a lower cost. I think that's going to be a big piece of it, too. And then I think it comes with the educational piece. I think that as this sport has exploded, you know, there aren't as many folks getting back in and teaching the fundamentals of it.
2: Yeah. yeah. Hey, Joe, well, that's, exactly, that's exactly it. Joe, let me run if on, I but thank, thank you as always for the call, okay. let me move on. Thank you, Joe. Take yep. care. Uh, let's move on. Let's go to uh, Ivan over in, uh, in Pennington. Ivan, good morning. You're on the fan.
6: Uh, good morning, Rick. Uh, Matt, uh, good morning. Um, uh, my son grew up actually here in the uh, Princeton area, Pendleton, New Jersey, in Princeton area, and played a lot of uh, local hockey. Uh, excuse me, local um, lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And um, he had a great experience. He wasn't the greatest uh, guy on the team, but he was able to go to college. Matter of fact, played at Colorado State. I don't know, Matt, if you know the program at Colorado. Absolutely. State. And you actually ended up winning an NCAA championship, which was an inc- incredible experience. Uh, but my re- real question is: Do you have any pressure yourself taking over a, um, a Princeton program that obviously was started and, and grown by Bill Tierney?
4: Um, sure. I mean, I think that, you know, look, I, I, we, I've, always, I've always thought in this profession, you want to be at the best. You want to be at the best places. And if that's, if that's having a bullseye on your back to, and the pressure of succession, you know, and the pressure of winning, I think that's outstanding. I think that, you know, that's what drives me every day. And I think that, you know, Bill Tierney did an outstanding job laying the foundation and creating an outstanding tradition here and, and a history and a tradition of winning at the highest level, both on the field and in the classroom. And that's the true Ivy League model. And that's specifically the Princeton model. So, to be able to take over a program um, with that storied tradition and that history behind it, uh, it's motivating every day. I get to walk into my office every day and stare at six national (laughs) (laughs) championships. Yeah, I
6: I think, uh, obviously, I think he's also had a great, great uh, um, idea and and bringing the, the love of lacrosse to the West Coast as he took over Denver, and he's grown that program immensely.
4: An absolute pioneer we couldn 't be happier to have him you know in our coach 's body and for what he does for the game every single year, you know not not only with the rules and the recruiting piece um, but how he 's spread the game and you know he 's now influential in starting the box lacrosse game out west and growing that as well, so he 's done such an outstanding job uh, for our game lacrosse uh we're indebted to him over here at Princeton but we're happy that uh we're happy he's a former tiger.
2: Yeah. Hey Ivan, thanks thank for thanks for the thank call. You, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned like look, we're talking about Uh, Elite lacrosse programs, and obviously Coach Turney had great success at Princeton. And Matt is there now in his third year. And yeah, as Matt said, Matt's a competitive guy, no question about it. You're looking at uh, a great history of a lot of championships. But that—that's as you said, Matt. That's what it comes to when you're playing sports at a high level. You embrace that. You you deal with that. You say, "Look, we're gonna we want to keep the momentum going." It's as simple as that. Now, I mentioned earlier on the show you—you were a goalie. You were an All-American. Uh, in college at Roanoke, which is a Division III program. Can you talk for a second about the differences uh, with lacrosse at a D1, where you're coaching now as a as a player at D3? Because a lot of kids, a lot of parents just don't understand if there really is a significant difference. And the thing I talk about all the time on this show is that, you know, so many kids, so many other parents think going from high school where you're a star to playing a D3, it's just like – it's like an, an automatic jump. It's just not, not a big deal. It's just a natural part of the progression. But we both know that D3 is very, very competitive, particularly in lacrosse.
4: It absolutely is, and I appreciate you asking me about it. You know, I started at Division one Hofstra University, and transferred to Division 3 I've coached at both levels, so I have the perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then being able to play professionally. And I played professionally alongside of both Division one, Division two, II, Division three. And I would have mentioned his son won a—, won a uh, yeah. MCLA championship out at Colorado College. We have those guys in the realm as well. So, as the cream rises to the top, you know it's the best players in the world. They're going to find their way to the professional ranks. Yep. But in terms of the Division One, Division Three comparison, there is a perception that Division Three is so much less in terms of Division One in terms of the time commitment, athleticism, and that's not the case. I think whether you're at Princeton, Syracuse Division 1 level or you're at Roanoke College or Stevens Tech at the Division 3 level, you know, it's once you get into your spring season, it's a full-time job. It's the same thing. It's about balancing, you know, your academics and your athletics and then there's not a lot of time for anything else. It's the true difference is in the fall season. There are Division 3 models where most Division III teams have 16 fall practices, and they spread that over four weeks. And the reason why they do that is it gives you a snapshot of what it's like to be a college athlete so that you can prepare yourself for the spring. There's also Division III, the NESCAC model, which is the New England small school conference up there in terms of Middlebury, Tufts, those schools, where Bowden, where they actually don't have a fall season. They focus on the students, they focus on being student-athletes, and then they come back and it's just a spring season. And a lot of where that shakes out, and a lot of those guys that play in those leagues end up in the pros too, but a lot of where that shakes out is just it's, it's the student-athlete in his decision time of, where he wants to have his time and commitment, and what experience. Both experiences, like I said in the spring, are very intense and, very, and, and take up a ton of your time. But it's in the fall season where the difference between Division One and Division Three really shakes out.
2: And, and speaking of the fall campaign and the fall practices, what, what do you guys do at Princeton in the fall?
4: So at Princeton, we're limited by the Ivy League, um, and it's a model we stand for where it almost models more of the Division Three realm, where we're actually allowed 12 dates in the fall, and then outside of those 12 dates we're allowed individual work. So what it does is again it is closer to the division 3 level where we want they want their students to come in, focus on being a student first, get mm-hmm. a feel for it and then move on to the athletic piece. And and I, it's a model I truly believe in. I think it's a great balance, you know, for the students, for young men and women. Um, you know, and I'm proud to be a part of the Ivy League.
2: All right, let's go back to our calls. Uh, let's go to our good friend Terry up in Armenia. Terry, I know Princeton, your ears must have been class burning. Of <laughs> class of 1970, Coach. Class of 1970, Princeton
3: Tigers. Yep, so, <laughs> go Tigers, number one. Number two, Coach Wolf's brother is a classmate.
2: Yes. And mm-hmm.
3: I am sure, Coach, that you know a very good friend of mine in my class, Kirk Unruh.
4: I absolutely do. Kirk's been wonderful for our program. He continues to, he continues to do wonderful things for not only our program but our university as well one of
3: the all-time greats. the only problem is you can never pin him down to have a drink or a meal he's too damn big <laughs> you're <laughs> absolutely right that. on uh, another topic a little bit more su- serious if you will another one of my classmates who I think played varsity lacrosse when we were at Princeton Mario Boyardi had a very talented son named George who was killed in a game at Cornell as I'm sure you know Absolutely. When the ball hit his chest in such a way that it stopped his heart, would you please explain to me why
4: lacrosse players, male or female, are not required to wear chest protectors? So... You're, you know, it's a great question, and they've actually they've changed the rules slightly in terms of the equipment mandates, in terms of sternum protectors. Um, women's lacrosse, I, you know, I can't speak to it directly, but in terms of men's lacrosse, specifically goalies, which it's unfortunately happened to a handful of young goalies throughout the, throughout the past few years, They've done a great job, the, the manufacturers, the equipment manufacturers have done a great job of really padding the sternum and putting certain protectors there around the chest. And, you know, we mandate our guys to wear chest pads and shoulder pads and stuff for that reason. Um, it was a really freak accident, really unfortunate.
3: It certainly was. George was a great kid. Um, and Mario and I were very close friends in college, and have remained friends ever
0: since.
2: Yeah, Terry, it's a, a thank you for that. Call. Thank you very much. You Take bet. Care. You bet. And, and we're talking about the, uh, If you're not familiar, the medical term is uh, commotio cordis. Uh, it's something that the, we've covered in the shows in the past, and it's it's basically a situation where a, a, a lacrosse ball uh, hits a player uh, in the chest in the sternum area. Uh, just at a, it's a freak kind of accident. But it hits during the middle of a, of a heartbeat, which causes like an immediate uh, heart attack. And, and it's fatal. Uh, it does unfortunately happen, as Terry mentioned, happened to uh, the, the son of one of his friends. A kid played at Cornell. And as Matt just mentioned, it happens obviously with the goalies as well because obviously the ball is coming at, at a tremendous rapid uh, you know pace. But, but uh, as you said, Matt, they're doing things to try to put like a plate in front of that sternum so these things can be prevented or at least curtailed to a certain extent
4: yes they are i mean look like like you had mentioned um it is somewhat of a freak accident but uh there are always steps to prepare yourself for those for those for those actions
2: all right let me take a pause here we're talking with matt madelon head coach of princeton men's lacrosse uh after we return from the sports update we'll continue to take your calls here at one 337 6666 stay with me new york and no question that uh, spring training is just a few days away and uh, to that end uh this morning at nine o'clock uh, i invite you to join my colleague ed randall who'll be talking baseball as he does every spring and summer here on the fan again at nine o'clock this morning also i, I as always i invite you to check out my website and blog at askcoachwolf.com and you know um you're know, watching the olympics uh, the last few days and and watching in particular the the figure skaters, and we all know that, that this is so pressure-packed, and they go out, and these 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 men and women have spent literally years and years and years of their lives trying to perfect their performances, and now it comes down to the uh, the, the major spotlight of the Olympics, and it's so heartbreaking to see them go out and do their various routines, and sometimes they fall. And, and you know, you, you sit there, and if you're like me, your, your heart breaks when they, they, they take a spill, and, you know, I—, I one of the reasons why I I, I wrote them in my book about the secrets of a sports psychology reveal is we all want our athletes to be able to perform at their peak and consistent level best. And clearly, uh, these figure skaters who have put so many uh, you know hours of effort into this, y- you wonder how they prepared. I'm sure all of these these competitors have sports psychologists who are working with them to to optimize and maximize their their consistency. But man oh man. That's what we want our kids to do, and, and obviously the ones who end up get winning the gold or silver or bronze medals are the ones who do compete under pressure and don't have any spills. It's, it's a remarkable kind of mental process, and that's why in my book, which I mentioned to you, it's, you really have to have a sense of working on the mental skills as well as your own physical skills. And, and by the way, I know I made that offer last week here on, on the show about um, you know people who order so many copies of my book. I got a tremendous overwhelming response to that offer don't worry i will be back in touch with you just give me a chance to go through all the various uh, emails i'll be back in touch about uh, making good on my my promise okay we're talking with matt Madelon this morning the princeton uh, men's lacrosse coach and we're taking calls here at one 337 6666 matt let's get back to our callers let's go to louie out in long beach long island louie good morning you're on the fan
1: Good morning. I I want to say hello to both of you, and I I really love your program. Uh, My question today is, I'm very concerned about the hitting in the game of lacrosse. I'm concerned about the concussions.
6: I happen to be a head
1: lacrosse coach in the Westchester area at Keogh Academy, Mm -hmm. and I'd like to know your opinion of what you think about the hitting in the game of lacrosse. I think the game, uh, just one more thing, I think the game is a skill game. I think the hitting should be banned from lacrosse. I know that's extreme, but... uh, I leave you with that quote, but with that uh, response.
2: Okay, Louis, that's a fair question. That's uh, Matt. I saw that into two angles here. One, of course, about the it's a skilled sport. So so Louis feels, and he's actually suggested they should ban hitting. I'm not sure that's going to happen or happen soon. And two, about the concussion issue. Uh, what are your thoughts on both those topics,
4: Louis? Appreciate the call and the question. Um, to tell you the truth, uh, you know, you're spot on. It is a skilled game, and you know, I've always compared growing up you know around the game of hockey you know you're not allowed to hit until you reach a certain age in hockey right so it teaches you almost how to play the skilled piece of the game first and then as you grow and mature you're actually taught then how to add the physical piece into it you know lacrosse it's really interesting so you know here at prince university we you know we're very privileged to to be able to take part in certain nca studies and one of them is the con- one of them has been the concussion study uh, we've got very forward thinking doctors and we've got a great medical staff and what our guys have done is actually they've worn these pieces these monitors behind their ears over the past handful of years and Louis, to your point is, and and what we've tried to track is actually where the head the head contact is happening. Is it happening around the face off X around certain ground balls, and have they tweaked the rules to prevent that? Is it happening you know as players are running in front of the cage and getting hit with the ball? Is it happening in certain ground ball areas on the field where there's more of a physical nature or more of a violent part of the game? so we 've done a good job tracking that, and I'd imagine those studies will come out soon enough, but you know it 's an unfortunate piece of the game. I know that you know, with our roster, you know, we can't afford to lose guys, and we don't want to, you know, we don't want young men dealing with the concussion piece, young men or women. So, um, you know, as extreme as it is, uh, it's not that ridiculous of a thought to think that they could take hitting out of the game. It's, I'm not sure it's necessary, but it is, you know, as well, of right now, it, it, it does bring an exciting piece to the game. But as the concussion studies shake out and as they start to monitor this, it's, A, it's, it's, it's teaching these young men and women, if or excuse me, young men, there's no hitting in the women's game, but if there is hitting and it does stay throughout, throughout our rules, teaching them how to and where to properly do it, um, but also really distinguishing, you know, in terms of our concussions, you know, just in my experience, some of it has been the physical piece, and then some of it has been, you know, the stick to the head, the yeah. ball to the head. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, I think we're on the right track, uh, and I do appreciate the question.
2: Well, you know, I, you mentioned, of course, about the, the, the women's game, and, and traditionally, of course, there, where there is contact, physical contact, in the men's game or at the at the high school level with boys, certainly with, with women and the girls in, in high school, the, the and I mentioned this my own two daughters played. There is no physical contact allowed. And, of course, there's always a debate about whether or not – and, again, I know you're a men's coach, not a women's coach – but whether or not the women should be, uh, should be forced to wear, you know, uh, some sort of helmet uh, to protect themselves uh, or, you know, uh, you know, from concussions. And it's curiously, in, in my experience, in talking to the coaches, the women or the girls who have played, they, they seem to be against that rule. They think that if you start using helmets in the girls' sport – you're going to end up having even more contact and more injuries. It's a real conundrum, and I don't know how this is going to play out.
4: You're spot on. I think, with, you know, and it's actually New York State was, you know, very forward thinking, and they've pushed the helmets yes. in youth girls across and women's across. And actually, you know, I saw a clip the other day of Syracuse University. A handful of their girls were wearing these modified helmets. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, you're spot on. There is a protection piece, but there's also. You know a change in level of aggression if all of a sudden you're now wearing a helmet you're gonna take a lot of different chances um, which could impact and change the game as well so you're you know your points very well taken
2: All right, let me let because me, I'm watching the clock here Matt uh, I have to I do want to ask you about things like uh, the, the shot clock you know and what's happening with shot clocks in in, in uh, lacrosse these days and if are we looking to anticipate changes with this
4: I think we are. I think that you know, our governing body meets once a year. That's our that's our coach's governing body and yep. and we talk about different rules that could impact the game, but it's it's more at a it, it's a larger scale, it's a larger lens. We're trying to figure out how we can grow the game, you know, at the youth level and continue to grow it nationally and internationally. And I think that you know, a shot clock it would help our game, and I think that it's moving in that direction. I think that, you know, our biggest our biggest issue with the rules right now is that, you know, we've got folks out coaching all over the country, coaching youth lacrosse, you know, and they play one set of rules, and those officials learn one set of rules. And then there's the, the high school lacrosse, and there's a different set of rules there, and then there's the pro lacrosse, and there's a, there's a little different set of rules there, and then there's international lacrosse, and there's a little different set of rules there. So I think that, you know, Again, if there were a hypothetical question, if I were in charge and I could change one rule, I would say I would try to make it universal so that young men young men can learn the game at one set of rules and grow and play all the way through, and officials as well, which would make our game a heck of a lot better, you know, and not put these guys, you know, at a disadvantage right off the bat. So, So, but I do think you will see a shot clock in men's NCAA college across very soon.
2: Okay, so it says, I mean, so are you are you in favor of that?
4: You know, I am, and I'm, you know, I sit on both sides of the fence. I think that there is. You know, there is a strategy to being able to coach your team and understand the tempo. And and really, whether if you're a a slowdown and you want to control the pace of the game and limit possessions, I think there's coaching strategy behind that. I think that, you know, adding the shot clock could, you know, could make it more exciting. Uh, And we've got a little bit, you know, we've got a little snapshot into a study with the women's lacrosse at women's NCAA lacrosse adding a shot clock. And it didn't necessarily raised scoring five, ten goals per game. It might have raised it one or two goals per game, but it did in terms of possessions and shots. Uh, it could be deemed as more exciting. And, you know, look, when it comes down to it, our sport needs better TV coverage and more growth there. So I think that the more exciting we can make our game, and that may be a big push for it. So uh, both sides of the fence, but I'd be in favor of the shot clock.
2: Yeah, the only thing I'm thinking about, and this is obviously a rough analogy, is because there are so many parallels between ice hockey and lacrosse, obviously, there's no shot clock in ice hockey, um, you know. And I, it doesn't you know, everybody knows ice hockey? Change the scores can change very, very quickly. Uh, but maybe with lacrosse, it's it's you know, as you said, you're you're looking at this both ways. Maybe it makes the game more exciting. Uh, does, a, does a sport need the the shot clock? I just don't know. I'm not, I'm not that familiar with the sport as well as you are. Let's say, but I mean, the point is, it, it seems to be a pretty exciting sport un- already
4: you 're absolutely right, it is i mean it 's a very fast paced sport, and again, the difference between hockey and lacrosse is you know we 've always related is you know lacrosse is almost upside down hockey you 're controlling yeah. an object out of vision you 're doing it 's a lot of read and react situations. But the puck doesn't leave the surface in hockey very often, where the That's ball is constantly point. going out of bounds, and good you can point. control the ball a lot more in lacrosse in terms of personal ball control. Whereas in hockey, you know it's very quick read and react situations. No one's really holding onto the puck for that long, so you know, and there's less strategies of really in hockey of really being able to manipulate time of possession. So I think that it will. I think it'll help our game. I think it'll it'll help it'll help the pace. Um,
2: you know, and, I, and I'm
4: excited to see where it takes us.
2: Hey, last question, Matt. What about, you know, we, we see, of course, analytics uh, has totally infiltrated most of the other sports uh, like baseball and and uh, basketball and football. Analytics happening in cross too?
4: It is, and it's elementary growth, but it is happening. There have been a handful of different outlets that have kind of tackled it, whether it's time of possession, pace, efficiency, strength of schedule. Uh, I'd say we're, you know, a handful of years into it, and I think as uh as our sport continues to grow and more people dive into this, I think that we'll really be able to pull some of the analytic pieces. I know we use them as coaches, uh, specifically our staff. We look at a lot of different analytics to find our strength, weaknesses, deficiencies, uh, and where we also can exploit our opponents. But I think from a larger scale outlet, I think it's starting to happen. So, um, again, I appreciate it. No, it's it's moving in that direction.
2: Hey, Matt, this has really been enlightening and and personally for me most enjoyable to have a chance to talk to you this morning uh obviously have a great season this year over at princeton obviously i know you guys had had an excellent year last year and uh i know things are looking promising for this year as well but again my thanks for taking some time this morning to come on and talk about uh princeton lacrosse
4: Rick, thanks so much for having me. True honor. Uh, you know, I appreciate it. I love the connection, you know, of our families, uh, and I look forward to connecting. And, and, again, thank you again, and go Tigers.
2: <laughs> thanks, Matt. That, of course, is Matt Aline. He is the head uh, lacrosse coach of the uh, men's program at Princeton University, and we've covered a lot of issues and topics this morning, and, and uh, certainly Matt knows his stuff, as you can tell, and, of course, brings tremendous uh, enthusiasm and passion uh, to his sport. Okay, let me take a timeout. I'll be back. Truck driver Schneider has
1: recently announced numerous driver pay upgrades and they'll be holding driver hiring events soon. Meet one-on-one with a local Schneider recruiter on February 14th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Hampton Inn at 680 Comac Road in Comac. Get full hiring event and driving job info, including higher pay and limited time bonuses,
0: at schneiderjobs.com. That's schneiderjobs.com. Town Fair Tire became New England's number one discount tire dealer by giving you the absolute lowest prices guaranteed. And with 96 stores from Connecticut to Maine, we'll beat anybody's price. And we mean anybody. Other dealers, we beat them. Warehouse clubs, we beat them. Online sites, we beat them all every day. So remember, for the absolute guaranteed lowest price on name brand tires, nobody beats Town Fair Tire. Nobody.
1: Name brands at discount prices. Town Fair tire.
0: Two years is a long time, so imagine buying a car that came with so much gas, you wouldn't have to buy more for two years. Kind of like the Epson EcoTank 4750 printer. Instead of ink cartridges, it has easy-to-fill ink tanks, and it comes with enough ink in the box to print for up to two years or up to 11,000 pages. That's equivalent to about 30 ink cartridge sets. Print totally cartridge-free with Epson EcoTank.
6: Get the cartridge-free EcoTank at Staples, Best Buy, and Office Depot Office Max.
0: Looking for ways to save with your Medicare plan? Walgreens is a preferred network pharmacy with many of the nation's plans, which could mean lower co-pays for you. So bring your prescriptions to a Walgreens pharmacy today to start saving. Walgreens, trusted since 1901. Walgreens participates as a preferred network pharmacy with United Healthcare, Cigna HealthSpring, and Humana. Walgreens participates with other plans. See walgreens.com/slash Medicare for details. Got a refrigerator that no longer does its job? That's not cool. Time to see the Home Depot. Right now, you can save up to 35% on appliance special buys, like the reliable Samsung side-by-side refrigerator in stainless steel or black stainless steel for just $998. So start fresh and save big. With up to 35% off appliances, now at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. U.S. only while supplies last. See store for details valid through February 28th.
2: Well, we covered a lot of uh, ground this morning uh, talking about lacrosse. And and, uh, obviously, Matt, as you heard, was extremely well-versed in the sport. And we know that lacrosse is just growing by leaps and bounds, not just around here, but all over the country. And, and, you know, I thought Matt's comments uh, were were quite on target. I mean, we're talking about everything from the fact that he feels that a shot clock will be coming in lacrosse uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, the fact that analytics is now beginning to have uh, some impact into the sport, which is interesting as well. Uh, talking about, uh, you know, for example, he, he was very candid. He he had gone to Hofstra originally, then ended up at uh, Roanoke, where he was an All-American goalie. It didn't seem to bother him in his progression, to, in his dreams to pursue a career at the professional level and, and, and played Major League Lacrosse. I mean, he was—to uh, him, he said, look, it's all about playing time, and, and you've got to find a program <laughs> where you're going to play— and play a lot because at the end of the day, and we all know this, it's all about having fun is by playing. And and uh, and in his case, it got him a chance to show what he could do, and he really did great at, at Roanoke, uh, a D3 program. And, you know, now he's at Princeton where, where he's obviously putting a, a program which is going to be, uh, you know, very, very competitive. They had a great year last year, and things are looking good for, for 2018 as well. He talked about the fact that, you know, concussions that um, – you know, that is still a concern, uh, Commercial quarters we talked about, and the fact they're using new types of plates to protect, uh, you know, uh, athletes and their sternums so they don't suffer a, a heart attack when they get hit by a ball, uh, and, and, and much more. I mean, obviously, the sport of lacrosse is, is just growing exponentially, and if your kid is interested in playing lacrosse, yeah, get involved. Get yourself a rule book, get yourself some video, find out more about the sport because it's an extraordinarily popular sport and it's now everywhere, as simple as that. And uh, yeah, uh, check out U.S. Lacrosse, check out their website to get more information because as I said, it's a wonderful sport. Uh, My own two daughters have played and loved it and still break out their sticks every so often to to have a catch. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. Uh, My thanks this morning to Anthony Gallo. Please stick around for Ed Randall. He is up next talking baseball. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.